Hello, and welcome to Education Needs a Champion, and Our Children Deserve One. I'm your host, Larry Davis, and today we're going to be doing the second installment on the increase in student misbehavior as they return to school from the pandemic. So sit tight, and let's talk right after this. What does it mean to be a champion? Stand tall and hold your head high. Make the rooftop break, aiming for the sky. Might not have it yet, but success is in my side. Can education get a champion? Cause nowadays we treat it like a common cold. Catch it if you can, but you're happy if you don't. Why are we so okay with that story? Education needs a champion. Mr. Davis, can you be him? Show him how to lead the pavement. Can you teach him? Mold him into something greater. Give him freedom. All we need is education. It's the secret. A lot of love, love schools don't always love us. No, they don't. Education needs a champion. Our children deserve one. Hello, and welcome back to Education Needs a Champion, and our children deserve one. Today, we're doing a the second installment of a three-part series on the increase in student misbehavior as students return to school from the pandemic. We all know this to be so because we can look at our news, our daily news, five o'clock news, six o'clock news, 10 o'clock news, and we'll see the number of fights that are taking place in our schools, outside of our schools, the number of school disruptions with, with students, the number of teachers resigning because of the discipline and uh, behavior problems within the school. So what I want to talk about is not the problem, but how we fix the problem. So before I get started, uh, my part three, I really want to focus on this survey. So I want to tell you about this survey that I'm doing so we can really, you know, just really get down to what, what the issue is at hand when it comes to our students and misbehavior. So the, the question is this, how can we better support students and teachers when it comes to behavior concerns in our schools? One, decrease the student-teacher ratio. Two, increase the number of administrators per campus. Three, adopt new disciplinary policies to address specific behavior needs. Four, increase campus security and district security or local police. Five, our schools are doing the best they can with what they have. Or six, more funding federally and locally to support parent involvement and additional staff to address behavior and student needs. Again, please log on and look at those and tell me, give me your thoughts on that as we do the survey, because I want to go over the results of the survey in the next, on the, in that final installment. Well, let's get back to what we're talking about here. We're talking about increased student misbehavior as they return to school from the pandemic. It's something we should have all expected. It's something we should have all anticipated. And in, quite frankly, it's something we should have all done a much better job at. But I talked about that during the last installment. Today, I want to talk about five things that we can do as adults that will help with this issue, this concern. Now, first of all, we have to realize that as long as we have students who are being suspended from school, placed in in-school suspension, sent to alternative centers, or placed in a juvenile justice center, we will always have an achievement gap in this country. Now, honestly, as an educator, I don't know if we really want to fix the achievement gap because as long as the achievement gap exists, there's funding to be given to campuses, to schools, and school districts. If we do away with the achievement gap, 
that funding may disappear as well. It's like getting paid to treat something versus cure something. There's so much more money to be made in treating than in curing. So do we really want to cure the achievement gap or do we just want to treat it? I'm hoping that we want to cure it. So today, here are the five things that I want to talk about. These five things will do far more to support our students, our student success, our student achievement than any punitive action that we can give a student, any punitive consequence. In fact, I challenge my listeners, if you could send me one school in this country or in the world that has became a much better school through disciplining students, the answer is going to be zero. You don't discipline students into being an effective school. You don't discipline students into getting a blue ribbon. No, you don't. How do you do it? Well, here's the thing. And I know what I'm about to say is going to sound odd to some people. We need to focus on the adults to curve the behavior of students. Wait a minute, Mr. Davis. These are student misbehaving, not adults. So why should we spend money on focusing on adults? Well, here's the reason. In my book, Working With Our 4D Students, Defiant, Difficult, Disrespectful, and Disruptive, I not only contend, but I show that it is the actions of adults that changes student behavior, not the actions of students and not the punitive consequences that we give them. We're going to talk about beliefs, relationships, attitudes, and I'm going to say, say I'm going to save culture and environment for the third installment because this, it will get to be a little bit lengthy. So I wanna talk about the beliefs, the relationships, the attitude, the culture, and the environment that is created by adults that will do far more for student success, student achievement, than any punitive action an, an adult can give a child. Think about this. When we look at these five factors, beliefs, relationships, attitudes, culture, environment, these are all things that are controlled by adults, not students. In fact, adults always say, well, this is what happens when the inmates run the asylum. So let's make sure the people who are running our schools should be the ones who are running our schools. And it's not the students, it's our adults. So when we look at beliefs, a belief is an, accept is an acceptance that a statement is true or that something exists. Too many times, far too many times, when students come back to school, teachers already believe it's going to be the worst year ever. Teachers are already gearing up for a problem. They're already looked at students and say, I know this student's going to be a problem. Are they looking at their classroom and going, I have too many kids in this class. I'm not going to be successful. These are beliefs that they've already embedded in their mind and it could be from a previous year or prior year. It could be from a previous experience or a prior experience. But that belief is then pushed upon our children. And our children are now carrying the burden of an adult's belief. The belief that all students can't learn. The belief that students from a certain zip code aren't going to be successful. Condoleezza Wright told us, a child's zip code should never dictate the level of their education. And we do that, our beliefs. We know that when you look at a high school, this is just an example because I was a high school principal. 
I was a high school assistant principal. I was a high school associate principal. We know that four elementaries feed into a, a middle school. Two middle schools feed into a high school. And far too many times as an administrator, have I heard teachers say, I can tell which kids came from which school because the kids who came from this school behave so much poor, so poorly. They behave so badly. Well, I want to clarify something real quick. There is no such thing as a good student or a bad student. They're just students. They're students who either behave badly or students who behave exceptionally. There are students who perform badly or students who perform exceptionally. There are students who fail or students who pass, but they're just students. They're not good or bad students. You see, a belief is this, the halo effect. Teachers truly believe that a good student can never become a bad student and a bad student can never become a good student. Here's a prime example of the halo effect. If I have a student who turns in paper all the time, who's always volunteering, who's always at the forefront of the schools, always participating in school events. He, the student's in the top 10 is an honor student. And that student doesn't turn in an assignment and say, Mr. Davis, I'm sorry, I just forgot to do it or I didn't do my homework. Can you let me do it to turn in tomorrow? Because that's such a good student. I'm going to say, sure. And don't worry about me taking points off because I know that, you know, this is just an exception. But if a bad student comes to me or what we perceive as a bad student and this student never turns in working and I ask for that student's work, Johnny, where's your work? And he says, I didn't do it, but can I turn it in tomorrow? And I'll say, yes, you can, but I'm going to take 25 points off. Why would I take 25 points off the student work who never turns in work, but not penalize a student who always turns in work? That's a belief. That's a belief in the halo effect. And if I take the 25 points off, chances are, Johnny's not going to turn that work in because that 25 points may cause him to fail. So why turn in work that's going to cause a student to fail? Why would a student do that? Besides, there's nothing in our curriculum that says time management is a factor in the grading. It's all based on ability. Change the belief and you'll increase student achievement. Change your belief as adults and will impact the achievement gap. The next one is relationships. The reality is this, we know that students come to school when they're engaged in their work, known by their teachers and connected to the school. Engaged, known, connected. These three words are synonymous with relationships. We have to build genuine relationships with our students. I remember being a first year, uh, first year substitute in my very first job. And on this teacher desk, it said a little calendar and it said, students don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I thought, well, that's cheesy. But when I became a teacher, I realized how true that statement was. Students want authentic relationships. Rita Pearson said, students don't learn from teachers they don't like. It doesn't mean that the teacher doesn't have anything to give the student, but a student is still a child and there's such there's a level of immaturity there. And if their immaturity is, a, is allowing them to use their dislike for this teacher to learn, it's going to happen. They're not mature enough to set aside things that they're doing, the, the things that a teacher can give them and divide that from, I don't like this teacher. It's rare that you find a student who can say, I really don't like Mr. Davis, but I need what Mr. Davis is offering me to get me to Brown University 
or to University of Texas at Arlington. No, it's our relationships. We have to build genuine, authentic relationships with students. As a principal, I looked, I had my leadership team. I had the same teachers. I inherited a school that was failing four years, four years in a row. I'm not saying low performing, I'm saying failing. And I never use that word. Anyway, I, had, I inherited all the same teachers from those previous years and four brand new assistant principals. And what we did was something very simple. We looked at the number of students who were not connected to the school, who didn't belong to a club or an organization, who didn't play sports, who wasn't in band or in choir or in theater. And we realized that that number was close to 60% of our kids did not engage in any activity at the campus. So I asked each of my teachers to pick two students that were not in their classrooms and engage with those students twice a week in two different settings for two months. We called it the two by two by two, only because of twice a week, two settings, two months. Keep it simple, Larry. The first week when we started speaking to students, the students looked at us like, how does that person know my name? And they would, they would just kind of look at us and raise their hand or nod that first week. That second week, that student would put their head down, hoping that we didn't see them, and we would still acknowledge them in the hallway, in the lunchroom, in two different settings. The third week, we started going to the classrooms, and we went to a classroom that the student was succeeding in or failing in, and we would go and say, hey, just checking on you. I say, how are you doing in this classroom? The student never knew that we knew what, how they were performing. All they saw was us checking on them, building a genuine, authentic relationship. Now, before I finish this, I would love to say 100% of my teachers took part in this. That didn't happen. No, 100% didn't. But I didn't need 100% to take part. I just need a large percent of my teachers to take part. And what happened along the way was during that last two-week period of that two-month stint, students started going to the teacher's room and having lunch with them, teachers that they didn't have on their uh, schedule. Teachers would walk up and talk to a student in the middle of his crowd of friends or his friends, his group of friends, and his friends would go, who is that? And he go, oh, that's Mr. Davis. So, Do you have him in class? No, no, no. He teaches. He's a, I'm a freshman. He's a senior teacher. He just comes to speak to me. You know, he's cool. Really? Now that student is such a big, big man within the group because why is Mr. Davis a senior teacher talking to this freshman? How does this person know my friend's name? And then they're like, you know what, Miss Johnson's talking to me. Oh, Dr. Cato's talking to me. We were able to lower our discipline referrals by 66%. And the reason this is important is when I took over the school, we were stage three in with the state as far as dis disproportionately disciplining students. And had we gone to stage four, they mean the, 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 the state comes in and takes a deep dive into your disciplinary practices. We went from stage three to stage one within a year. We built authentic relationships with students. I can only imagine what it would have looked like had all my teachers got involved, but enough of them got involved. And the ones who didn't get involved, I could tell by the number of referrals still coming to the office. I could tell by the number of classroom disruptions within their classrooms. I could tell by the number of, when I asked students, who's your favorite teacher? Those teachers' names never came up. 
authentic relationships. Students come to school when they're engaged in their work, known by their teachers, and connected to the school. Because of this two by two by two, we were able to tell students, you should join theater, you should join UIL academic team, or you should play this sport, or you should do this. Have you ever thought about that? But then students started making suggestions to us. Mr. Davis, can we have a chess club? Mr. Davis, can we have an anime club? Mr. Davis, can we have a fashion club? And I had teachers who were willing to do those things. And I went to my superintendent and I said, can, could you give me money for stipends for teachers to do these things? And he was more than willing to do it because he knew that we were stage three as far as disproportionately disciplined students. He gave us the funding. He gave us the stipends to give the teachers to be sponsors for those programs. And we got those clubs started. And guess what? we connected more students to the school. Finally, I want to talk about attitude because I'm going to say culture and environment for the third installment. So let's talk about attitude. Attitude is emotionally driven and people often confuse belief with attitude. But when you look at belief, there's a reason for you. There's a reason that you believe that there's a reason that that exists. There's something culturally uh, in your background. There's something uh, that you've experienced that leads you to believe that. And, and it may be something that generationally you just been told and it becomes a belief, even though you don't know if it be true or not, but it's a belief, right? Attitudes are emotional and they differ from moment to moment, minute to minute, day to day. Your attitude can change just from your drive into work. Your attitude can change just because second period is a tough class. And so when second when that second period bell rings, your attitude is already negative because this is a tough class. And you know you have to be whew, extra hard on these students because they're so they're such problem students. They're 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 so disruptive. There's just so much classroom management issues with this class period. So the bell rings, period two, attitude changes. Well, what if we do away with that? You see, students are going to misbehave. It's a given, they're students. If they knew everything they need to know as students, they wouldn't need parents and they wouldn't need teachers. In fact, I would like to tell you, it's the fact that these students need you is why we have job security. The fact that a student may, dis may misbehave it gives you an opportunity to say, it's okay, I'm here for you. Let's talk about why you misbehave. Let's, let's not just look at the symptom. Let's not just look at the cause. Let's look at the root and find out why the student is misbehaving. Because we know the student who needs love the most will ask for it in the most unloving way. Here's a prime example of a teacher with a bad attitude. And I'm not sharing any teacher's name. If a teacher has a student removed from class for some kind of disruption and the student is then placed in in-school suspension or the disruption is so bad that the student is suspended for three or three, two or three days. When the student comes back, a teacher attitude towards that student will more than likely be, can you move out of my class? This is not going to be, a, this is not a good fit for that student or me. This is not, uh, no, this is not going to work. And when a student comes back, the teacher's demeanor towards that kid, attitude towards that kid is negative. But it should be this, when that student returns to class, that student should be the first student that you ask a question to. That should be the first student you walk up to and shake their hand and say, welcome back. Thanks, I'm glad you're back. I'm, I'm nice having you here. Your attitude should be just as short 
as a window that it takes to change your attitude. You're driving down the road, you're smiling and singing, someone cuts you off, your attitude's bad. Just that quick, that's how short your attitude must be when it comes to our children. We can't hold every little thing against our children. And it's this attitude that brings about the term good student, bad student. It's this attitude that blocks an adult from successfully connecting and reaching a child and helping that child be successful. Again, today we only talked about beliefs, relationships, and attitude. And during the third installment, we're going to talk about culture and environment, and we're going to talk about the survey. So thank you for listening. It's been a pleasure. This is another episode of Education Needs a Champion, and our children deserve one. If you'd like to be a guest, please contact me at Larry at LarryDDavis.com. And if you'd like to be a sponsor, please contact me at Larry at LarryDDavis.com. Thank you. And remember, education needs a champion, and our children deserve one. What does it mean to be a champion? Stand tall and hold your head high. Make the rooftop great, aiming for the sky. Might not have it yet, but success is in my side. Can education get a champion? Cause nowadays we treat it like a common cold. Catch it if you can, but you're happy if you don't. Why are we so okay with that story? Education needs a champion. Mr. Davis, can you be him? Show him how to lead the pavement. Can you teach him? Mold him into something greater. Give him freedom. All we need is education. It's the secret. A lot of love, love schools don't always love us. No, they don't. Education needs a champion. Our children deserve one.